Hey everyone, you're about to start part two in the case of Shanann, Bella, Cece, and Nico. So if you haven't listened to part one, this won't make sense to you. Go back an episode and listen there first. Now, ultimately, they do find out that the baby inside Shanann's belly is a little boy, and she names him Nico Lee. And even though her marriage was falling apart all around her without her control, she couldn't wait to love on this third baby, to introduce her two little girls to their brother. And it's that same day, August 9th, that Shanann gets ready to leave on a business trip for Thrive. She has to head to Arizona, and her friend Nicole Atkinson is going. At this point, they have been home for a few days between the North Carolina trip and now Shanann's trip to Arizona. And although she has felt nothing but rejection from her husband, she finally gets him to talk a little bit before she leaves. And they're able to really talk. He's distant still, but at least he's having an actual conversation with her. The best one she had gotten from him in the last month and a half. So before she leaves to catch her flight that day, she writes Chris a letter, quote, My dearest Chris, I don't know where to begin. I am so lost for words. I can't even explain how hard this pain is. The last five weeks have been the hardest. I missed everything about you. I missed your morning breath, your touch, your kisses slash lips. I missed holding you. I missed smelling you in the sheets. I missed talking to you in person. I miss watching you laugh and play with the kids. That I love so much about you. I miss seeing you naked and on top of me making love to me. OMG, I miss... I miss having you around when I felt alone and upset. I just flat out miss the hell out of you. We haven't been away from each other in that long since 2012. I really don't know how we fell out of compatibility or if that's someone else's words. The only thing that changed this month was everything going down with your family. I can't change what happened, but I can try to work things out with with you with them. But there has to be a mutual respect for everyone. I definitely deserve an apology because of Celeste. I can suck up to her going against everything I said to our kids, but our daughter's life can't be replaced. I've only seen you shut down like this once, and that was with your parents after our wedding. We deserve to have all family in our life with no, with love and not hate. I don't want to lose you ever. I will be civil and get along with your mom. We just need to have mutual respect. I will do anything for you. The last thing on earth is for you to hurt. You deserve the world, and I don't like when you hurt. It hurts me. I can't lose you without fighting for us. I will always fight for our marriage and you. This is the hardest thing I've ever gone through, but you are worth it. Tell me what you need. I love you, baby, with all my heart. Always and forever. Love, Shanann. End quote. Aww is sad huh like she's almost in desperate mode begging him to stay with her begging him to like work this out with her it really shows me that she truly loves him it seems like she like thinks the world of him yeah and it's sad because chris didn't care at all like sure he was somewhat pretending to care about shanann Although he was doing a pretty crappy job in this pretending. (laughs) Yeah. Like, don't you think? He's like, oh, yeah, I love you. No, nothing's wrong. But he's like sucking at really showing it. I mean, obviously he was distant. And who refuses sex? Like after five weeks, it's like. Yeah, that's a big red flag. Oh, 100%. Now, 
It's only two days after Shanann writes this letter and heads out on her business trip that Chris hires a babysitter. Since Shanann's trip was only a few days, he was keeping the kids, but he just had to see his girlfriend while his wife was gone. I mean, it's been a whole week and a half since he departed from her to go to North Carolina and be with his family. And he hasn't seen her since he came home. So once the babysitter arrives, Chris lets Shanann know that he's headed to a Colorado Rockies game with some co-workers. Well, it's like, doesn't, don't they work together? Yeah. So Did they not see each other at work? <laughs> actually, they might have seen each other at work. How long were they home at this point? They, I think they were home for like somewhere between two and four days. So actually, he could have possibly seen her, but I'm assuming, you know, they weren't seeing seeing each other like sleeping together. Yes, but, and he has to keep up his, you know, probably, he was probably telling her he was single. Yeah, if that's true. Yeah. You know, he says he's going to this Rockies game. I'm assuming that's baseball, but I don't really know. And while he was headed out with one coworker, he was obviously not telling the truth because we know that co-worker is Nicole Kessinger. And he's taking her out to dinner at a sports bar in Erie, Colorado. Now, when Shanann left on that trip, she was feeling okay. She had that good talk with Chris before she left. They spent the night together and she wrote him that heartfelt letter that she was really hopeful about. Like if Chris was holding resentment against her for that fight with his family, maybe now he could truly forgive her and they could move on. And at the beginning of her trip, they were getting along. She texts him and she's like, hey, good morning, baby. And after he has a talk with his four-year-old Bella about the baby being a boy. And he texts Shanann that Bella said when the baby comes out, she's just going to pretend it's a girl. And Shanann's heart was super full. She just loved that funny little girl so much. And then it comes to the night when Chris takes Nicole out for dinner. Shanann logs onto her bank account and she's met with a weird charge. It's from the Lazy Dog Restaurant and Bar, and it's for $63. Immediately, Shanann's worry surrounding another woman coming into the picture fly back into her mind. So she calls Chris and she's like, what did you do after the Rockies game? There's this charge at a restaurant and it's pretty high. And he's like, oh, I I just went out to grab a bite to eat. I was by myself. I was just really hungry. Yeah. (laughs) First of all, no, you didn't. So you're with all your coworkers and then you just go out to eat by yourself. But then Shanann's also wondering, like, what dinner would cost almost 70 bucks for one person at the Lazy Dog restaurant and bar? So she asks him what he ate. He had salmon and a beer. Well, Shanann, she's not dumb, and she was going to get to the bottom of this. No more feeling crazy, no more questioning herself. Shanann and Nikki, they look up the menu for the restaurant. Well, salmon and a beer, they come out to $30, which is less than half of that charge. And women, I feel like, can always find everything out. Oh, yeah. Like, you should have said you got two salmons and five beers. I don't know, but... (laughs) Should have said he got a salmon and dessert and a couple beers. But, like, you didn't think she was going to dig deeper into that? Mm, Women will. Women will. We are, like, (laughs) the number one detectives. We know everything. (laughs) Obviously, Shanann and Nikki could tell there was something really wrong here. So, 
on top of that, Chris doesn't actually walk into their home until 10.30 that night. And that's according to their security camera on the front door that Shanann had access to. And that was strange because that was hours after the bill at the restaurant was paid for and put onto their bank statement. So August 12th, 2018 would be the last night of Shanann's trip. And she drafts up a speech that she plans to give to Chris when she returns to Colorado the next day. Quote, can you please tell me something? Because just like you, I'm in my head. I try to fix things and make them better. And this is making me crazy. I know you need time. I want to give you what you're asking for and respect your space. I need some time. This place that I'm in, in my head, is not a good place. It's not healthy for me or Nico. I need you to help me help you. I need you to just give a just a little bit of what I did or didn't do. So I'm not going crazy in my head to figure it out. I know I can't fix this by myself. That we are going to have to work together. End quote. Shanann also texts friends about her regrets in being the dominant one in their relationship. Like, did she push him to resent her? Which for me, absolutely not. She did nothing wrong here, but this is how she's personally feeling. She talks about how she did belittle him without realizing it when it came to his parents. And she was regretting that now that, you know, their relationship was drowning. But her friend texts her, quote, Honey, you're an amazing wife. This isn't your fault. You're defending your family. He knows this. He would kill for you. End quote. And that brings us to August 13th, 2018. Nicole Atkinson drops Shanann off at her home in Colorado after their flight lands from Arizona. A neighbor's security camera captures Nicole's car pulling up to Shanann's house at 1.48 a.m., And then we can see her walk up to her front door and she's captured on her doorbell camera. Now, what I'm about to tell you is Chris's version of what happened that night. His story is different before this final one comes out and we'll get into all of that. But after basically being caught red handed in his affair due to using his joint bank account to pay for his girlfriend's dinner, he had a feeling Shanann was catching on to the truth here the truth he so lazily tried to hide. And when Shanann gets into bed after three days gone, Chris decides that he does want to have sex with her now. So he does. And he claims after this, he fell asleep and wakes up later that morning. Now, keep in mind, he is out of the house around 5.30 a.m., so I find this super hard to believe. But he says when he wakes up, he also gets Shanann up. Again, I find this hard to believe that he would wake her up to have this talk before five in the morning after going to bed sometime between two and three a.m. But this is what he tells investigators. And later on, he does kind of change the story in some confession letters. So at this point, he's saying that he starts telling Shanann that their relationship is over. It's not going to work. And he says she's shocked, asking like, what about last night? What was that? I, I knew there was somebody else. But he just couldn't say there was someone else. He says he didn't have it in him. But you know what he did have in him? He had it in him to tell her that he didn't love her anymore before he put his hands around her neck and strangled her to death. Now, here's the thing. So Chris, he had no defensive wounds on him. 
It didn't seem like Shanann was awake during the struggle because her dad, Frank, believes she would have fought hard for her life. But Chris had no scratches the next day, no bruising, nothing. And there's pictures of this from the police department. So I do tend to side with Shanann's dad. I think Chris is the biggest coward on this planet. I don't think he could tell Shanann that there was someone else. But I also don't think he could tell her that he didn't love her or that it was over. Because if that was the case, he could have just divorced her. No, he wanted to play this facade that he cared about his wife and family. He wanted to pretend all the way until the end. So if they did end up having sex after Shanann returned home, I believe she then fell asleep. But he didn't. There are confession letters, like I said, and he later writes them detailing how he once drugged her with Oxycontin in an effort to terminate her pregnancy. So this could explain why she wasn't able to fight back. Did he drug her again on this fatal night? Or was she possibly laying on her stomach when her husband started to strangle her? This could also explain why he didn't have any marks. She probably would have been fighting back, but this would have been a much harder position to fight back in if his knees are on her arms. Now, Chris does say at one point that Shanann was face down. I honestly hope she was drugged because if she was fighting back, I can't imagine her thoughts in those last moments and like the betrayal that she felt. So Chris claims that at one point Shanann did say, you're never going to see the kids again. Get off me. Don't hurt the baby. Now, this murder wasn't something that just happened. He says himself that he just knew he was going to do it. Quote, I just felt like I had to do it. I just felt like there was already something in my mind that was implanted, that I was going to do it. When I woke up that morning, it was going to happen, and I had no control over it. End quote. Well, like, obviously, you did have control over it, Chris. It was implanted because you premeditated the murders of your family, and he clearly decided he was going to do it. Later on, Chris says that before he strangled Shanann, he had gone into his little girl's room, Bella, who was four years old, and Cece, who was three years old, and he tried to smother them with their pillows. Now, this plays even more into the fact that I think Shanann fell asleep and Chris stayed awake to carry out the murders he already knew he was going to do. Well, after he murders Shanann, Bella ends up walking into the room. She's alive, and so is Celeste. He will explain all of this in those confession letters from prison that he writes to Sherilyn Cattle. Cattle, these confession letters again show that multiple stories he told investigators were fabricated to try and make himself look a little better. So it's in one letter, he details how the night before all of this, he walked away from his kids thinking about how that would be the last time he ever tucked tucked them in. He planned out the annihilation of his family before they ever even came home from North Carolina. Quote, I thought it would be easier to be with Nicole if Shanann wasn't pregnant. I knew if I took my hands off of her, she would still keep me from Nikki. End quote. So when four-year-old Bella walks into her parents' bedroom to see her mom laying there under the pressure of her dad's hands, she asks him, what's wrong with mommy? 
And then Bella watches as he rolls Shanann's body up in the sheet that was covering their mattress. Chris says that because he tried to smother the girls with their pillows before killing Shanann, their eyes were bruised and swollen. They looked like they had been through a trauma. He then backs his truck into his garage where he loads Shanann's body into the back seat of the truck and lays her on the floor. And then he puts his two daughters on the seats with their blankies. Before driving around 40 miles out to the oil site he would be working at that morning. The girls are laying on each other's laps and they're just falling back asleep after making sure to ask if their mom who was laying on the ground was going to be okay. Now he arrives to the oil site and he finishes his truly evil plan when he grabs his daughters out from the back seat. Little Bella, who is four years old, and little Cece, who is three years old. They're standing in front of him, the dad that they loved, the dad who had taken care of them their whole lives, the dad who they trusted, and the dad who no longer deserved the title of being their dad. Chris grabs Cece, who was holding her favorite blanket, and he put it over her head, and he smothers her to death. And then he turns towards Bella, who is scared, like, what's going on? Her mom's not okay, and her sister's not okay. And Bella asks Chris what happened to Cece, but he doesn't answer. And so he goes to do the same thing to Bella when she cries out, Daddy, no. But he kills her anyway. That part always makes me cry. I know. I I can like don't like this story that because of that. I can like hardly breathe whenever I repeat that she said that. Yeah, that he can still do that. No. And I think that is like a big part of the story that makes it so shocking. Like she asked you not to. When you have your child, your four-year-old child begging you not to do that. Yeah. Like that is like heartbreaking. So I've like never seen or read this part of the story without bawling. Like it's heinous. It's like depraved. He's like a monster. And this was his four-year-old baby. What's sad to me is that she was old enough to have an idea of what was happening. Mm -hmm. Like they had to have fought for their lives and they really stood no chance against a full-grown man who would stop at no end to be with his girlfriend. Like I hate him. I truly wish nothing but hell for this guy. Yeah. It's hard to believe that he really really tried to smother him in their house i know like wouldn't they be crying crying or i don't know why he said that i don't know if he tried to do it while they were asleep yeah but then if they woke up and i mean you'd be bawling i just i don't get it i mean for sure he ultimately kills them out there at the site but there's one story it's gosh who's that serial killer BTK, Dennis Rader, you've heard of him? Yeah. I think it was him that in his first murders of like this family, he kept trying to smother them like with garbage sacks. Mm -hmm. And he was so stupid that he could not get them to die. So he'd like smother them and they'd pass out and then they'd wake back up. Oh. So he, he had to like smother that family a bunch of times. And that was, like, literally such a sad story. But that's the only thing that I'm like, well, maybe. Oh, I see. I don't know. I mean, I think he's a liar through and through. So, like I said, like, I mean, the only person we can get the account of is from him. So, this is his story. Take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. 
Now, after taking the lives of Shanann, Bella, Cece, and Nico, Chris carries the little girl's bodies over to the oil tanks on the side. There are two tanks, and he puts Bella in one with her blanket and Cece in the other with her blanket. He then walks out into the sagebrush a bit where he digs a shallow grave that he buries Shanann and Nico in. And he told writer Cheryl that he buried Shanann far from her children's bodies because he hated her so much in that moment. And then he stays there at the site. He's waiting for his coworkers to show up so that they could all just get work started. And that's exactly what happens. He starts his work, work day there at the oil site right next to the areas where he just disposed of his entire family's bodies. Chris then calls the girls' school to unenroll them. That same day, he is texting with his realtor about his house, and he wants to sell their home. This was actually a group message between the realtor, Shanann, and Chris. And as we know, Shanann is buried in a shallow grave right there where Chris is working, so she couldn't join in on the conversation. And the realtor asks... Is Shanann okay? She hasn't weighed in all day. And Chris responds with, Oh, she hasn't been around all day. It's very odd. And the realtor seems taken back and is like, Oh, that that's really weird. You must be worried. Have you checked with friends or have you reported her missing? And Chris is like, Of course, I've done it all. Like the police are handling it right now. Please send prayers. But no, Chris had not done it all. He had not done anything at this point. He was lying because Chris underestimated Shanann's friends. Because when she misses her 9 a.m. doctor's appointment, scheduled for just hours after he killed her and her children, Nicole Atkinson notices. Chris didn't even know about the doctor's appointment, but Nicole did. And Nicole starts calling Shanann that morning to see how the doctor's appointment went. She had already texted her before the doctors at 8.55 a.m., telling her she was just seeing if she was okay. And by 9.21 a.m., she told Shanann to let her know how the doctor's appointment goes. But when 11.46 a.m. comes, almost three hours after the scheduled doctor's appointment, Nicole is like, what's going on? Shanann's lifeline is her phone. She's never out of touch. She promotes her Thrive business there 24-7, like, I'm going to her house. And she texts Shanann that she's on her way over because she's worried. And there's no answer when she gets there, and she's just not having it. So she calls 911. This bad bee of a friend calls police within hours of realizing her friend is gone. Like, she's not making excuses as to why Shanann could be out of touch. She's going to find her friend right now, and I love her for this. Yeah, good for her. I know. Like, who? I don't think anyone would notice I'm gone within a couple of hours. That's because you never answer your phone. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Now... When she calls, Nicole explains to the dispatcher that she can't get a hold of her friend. She's worried. She had a doctor's appointment this morning. Her car is here at her house, but she's not answering her phone. And after this, Nicole calls Shanann's mom and Chris. She explains how concerned she is. I'm sure Chris is flabbergasted that someone is already noticing Shanann is gone before he even has the time to think of how to cover this up. I'm sure his stomach sinks right into his butt, and I'm super happy that he at least had to feel that panic, immediately knowing that he wasn't getting away with this. So Chris lets his boss know that he has to go home. Something's wrong with his wife. She might be missing. And he drives home at the same time that police are heading over. 
but police make it to the home first. An officer meets Nicole there and yells into the house, but the only thing they hear is Shanann's dog, Dieter, barking back at them. This officer can't get into the home, and he doesn't have enough evidence to barge in there before Chris shows up. Nicole is on the phone with Shanann's mom, Sandy, who says Chris called her to let her know Shanann was at a girlfriend's house, but he just didn't know which one. So Sandy is like yelling at Nicole that she's giving her the permission to go into her daughter's home and find her. And Chris shows up and he goes into his house through the garage before answering the front door for the officer and Nicole and giving them permission to come inside. Everyone's walking around looking for Shanann and the kids, but it's silent. Chris says, all the girls' blinkies are gone. That's the only thing missing. They go everywhere with those. And then Chris is like, OMG, I found her phone and it's turned off. And then he brings it to turn it on in front of Nicole and the officer. And her notifications start going wild. I mean, everyone was trying to get in touch with her. Even Chris tried to cover the tracks of this horrific and senseless murder by texting Shanann at 7.40 a.m. If you take the kids somewhere, please let me know where they're at. And then another at noon, call me please. Before a third and final one comes in. I'm headed home, please be okay. Full well knowing she was not okay because he killed her, he killed his entire family. So Nicole then finds Shanann's purse that has her medication in it. And at this point, Nicole is in a full-blown panic. A much bigger panic than Chris, who is casually strolling around the house pretending to look for signs of what could have happened. And after searching the home with no signs, they catch the stroke of luck. The neighbor across the street is like, hey, I've got security footage and it captures video anytime there's movement. So we can see when Shanann left the house and if she got into anyone's car or something. And police think, great, this will be so helpful. And instead of leaving Chris behind while they examine the footage, they bring this murderer into his neighbor's house with him. His neighbor, who was basically outing him, and they let him watch the footage. But there are no videos captured after 5.30 a.m. that morning. That means there was no movement in the front of Shanann's home after 5.30 a.m. The only video captured is of Chris backing his truck into his garage and loading something into it before driving off and heading to work. And that was captured at 5.17 a.m. Chris is nervous as hell. He's got his head down, glued to his phone. And when it shows him backing his truck into the garage, he's like, oh, you know, it's it's just easier to back in there and get closer to the garage door when I'm like lugging all my tools out to my truck. Chris starts rocking back and forth. He brings his hands up to his head, interlocking them. Now the footage ends and there's nothing else. The officer asks, nothing else for the rest of the day? Nope, nothing and that camera would have caught any movement. And right as this is being asked, the TV turns away from the camera screen and back onto a television program. And it's eerie because immediately a video of a fetus inside the womb pops up, a video about pregnancy. Chris glances over to it and he looks a little shocked. He watches it for a second before turning his head to the officer and immediately saying, she's pregnant as well. And Chris walks out before the officer and his neighbor quickly looks at the officer and is like, "Uh, yeah, he's not acting right. He doesn't fidget. He doesn't talk and talk trying to explain himself. He never loads his stuff in through the garage. This is all making me super suspicious. 
It's the day after Shanann, Bella, and Cece are reported missing that Chris makes an appearance on Denver 7 News. He's there to plead for his wife and children to come home safely, but he's not really making a real effort at his plea. Through zero tears, he says he hopes she's safe and with the kids. Oh, yeah, that interview is insane. Oh, it's so bad, isn't it? Oh, yeah, he's just acting like a total idiot. He's just like completely straight-faced. He smirks a couple times. It's like, yeah, you're dumb. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the news reporter even asks him if they get into an argument and on national TV, he smiles and says, oh, like not an argument, just an emotional conversation. I'll leave it at that. I just want them back. Mm-hmm. So Chris starts going through interrogation and he agrees to take a polygraph. And of course, he fails it miserably. He tries to argue with officers like, no, no, I swear I didn't lie. But they're like, yeah, there's no arguing here. You failed it. We know you're lying. And Chris goes back and forth with the officers for a long time before one says to him, tell us the truth. Did Shanann hurt the girls? And she says this on purpose, right? To plant this idea in Chris's head that he can confess while taking some of the blame off himself. And it works because thankfully Chris is an idiot. I mean, they would have caught him without a confession because like his truck had GPS, his text revealed the affair, And he just left a complete trail behind his actions. But it's soon after this officer plants the idea in his mind that Chris is like, you know what? Can I talk to my dad? And he tells his dad this elaborate story before pulling the officers back into the room. So in Chris's original confession, he tries to say that after Shanann got home from Arizona, she was the one who smothered their daughters to death. She he says he doesn't want to protect her. And when he realized what she had done, he had to kill her. He had to take her life since she just took his daughters from him. Like, what an actual douche, right? Like, you are n- mm-hmm. you don't get to murder your whole family and then try to take the heat off of you by throwing your wife under the bus. Yeah, that story is just ridiculous. So ridiculous. And it's just around this time he confesses that Nicole Kessinger had gone into the police station herself to let them know she was having an affair with Chris. She says she didn't know that Shanann was 15 weeks pregnant. She thought Chris was divorcing her. She didn't realize they were still super married. In fact, she barely even knew Chris, which we talked about this earlier, and I feel that part's definitely not true. I don't know if she just wanted to distance herself from the monster he proved himself to be, but she obviously did know Chris well. Well, yeah, if you're looking for wedding dresses. Yeah, and like you guys are spending a bunch of nights together. He's taking pictures of you. Like, you know each other. A little bit anyways. (laughs) Yeah, sexually at least. Yeah. Once Chris confesses, though, investigators put their complete focus onto him and they just kind of leave Nicole at that. Though they did look into her phone records and there are some strange things. I guess some people do think that she could be fully involved. There's like this TikTok video of the security footage where someone points out what looks to be like a second figure loading things into the truck, a figure maybe with a ponytail, but of course it's hard to see and probably just a good old conspiracy. Maybe Chris really did lie to Nicole about his marriage. But there is evidence that say that says otherwise. So it was July 24th, 2018, when Nicole Googled, quote, 
man I'm having an affair with says he will leave his wife. And then she Googles on August 8th of that same year, quote, marrying your mistress, end quote. Now, that doesn't seem to me like she thought he was separated. True. And there's more. So Nicole's phone had an outstanding amount of searches for Shanann Watts after the murders. Now, this might be because she wanted to know what was going on with her boyfriend. Like, could he really have killed his family? But then she also Googles, quote, can cops trace text messages? End quote. Just a little strange. Not sure why you'd be worried about it. Maybe she didn't want it out in the open that she was having an affair with a man who killed his whole family. Yeah, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and just entirely blame him. Well, I entirely blame him, but I just wonder if she knows a little more than I don't. I'm not sure she was full on involved, but like, did she know more than what she was saying? She probably knows a little more, but she probably had nothing to do with the murder. Right. It's days after Shanann was murdered that Nicole searched, quote, did people hate Amber Fry, end quote. And that was on August 19, 2018. This is more evidence that she was probably worried about what people would think of her. But with that, she also searched Amber Fry's book deal and what her net worth were, was. So, like, was Nicole thinking of making any money off this? There's just a slight difference between Amber Fry, who was the one-month girlfriend of Scott Peterson, who killed his pregnant wife, Lacey Peterson, on Christmas Eve. For me, Amber had zero idea that Scott was married. Like, she actually believed his wife was already dead before Lacey ever went missing. So there is a difference to me when Amber is completely in the dark as much as Lacey versus Nicole, who is searching about her married boyfriend leaving his wife and marrying his mistress. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think she had anything to do with the murder, per se. I mean, she she made some mistakes, obviously, and who knows, but it, he's the one that, that's disgusting. He did it. Yeah, oh, for <laughs> sure. He drove him out there. He put him in the oil tanks. He No, definitely. Yeah. I think that. But also, if you knew he was going to kill them, that's also pretty messed up. Yeah. Like, if you knew your boyfriend was going to kill people, not cool. But if she just knew more about the affair and she just wants to, you know, distance herself, I get that. Nicole was Googling Chris Watts and Shanann Watts actually a year before her affair with Chris ever started. So she was Googling them as early as August 3rd, 2017. So this is a year before the murders. And she also looked Shanann up on Facebook during this time. So she know, you know, Shanann really details her life through Facebook. The other thing, though, is that before she hands her phone over to the police, she tries to destroy the SIM card. Now, remember, she didn't want them going through her texts. So the two, they did stay in close contact before and after the murders. And that makes sense to me if they were having an affair, an affair and she might have just been embarrassed about their communication. And then there's one more thing. So remember how Chris says that he drugged Shanann with Oxy? Well, police weren't able to discover where he got this drug from since he didn't have any prescribed to him. But he said that it was a secret he would take to his grave. There was a text sent from Nicole to Chris saying, quote, I want to be a part of it. Being in your life is something I crave, end quote. 
Now, I, I'll take that probably as she wants to be a part of his life. And all these reasons are the reasons that some people believe Nicole may have known more than she let on. And I know she she did change her name and like she moved out of the community. So I just, uh, the only thing is I think she knew more at least about Chris's marriage than she tells the police when she says, you know, she barely knew him. Yeah, I agree. I I mean, I'm sure if the police had more, they they would have gotten her. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like if there was any evidence she was connected to the murders, I'm sure the police looked into that. Like there's little weird things, but probably more just things that have to do with their affair, not her being a part of the murder. Yeah, the, the blame shouldn't be spread onto her as well. I don't think it's all him. Yeah, definitely. It was August 15th, 2018 at 11.30 p.m. when Chris Watts was arrested on suspicion of three first-degree murder charges as well as three charges of tampering with a deceased human body. The next day on August 16th, the bodies of Shanann, Bella, and Cece were discovered where they were discarded. By August 21st, 2018, Chris is arraigned in a courtroom and Shanann's family was able to attend. Chris lived two days without his family before being taken into custody. He had no freedom without his family, the freedom he was killing them for. And that gives me the smallest sliver of peace. On November 6, 2018, Chris pleads guilty to all charges brought against him. Murder in the first degree of Shanann Watts, murder in the first degree of Bella Watts, murder in the first degree of Celeste Watts, unlawful termination of a pregnancy for Nico Watts, and three counts of tampering with a body. Two more counts were added on due to the two of the murders being children under the age of 12. Now, although I wish he would have gotten the death penalty, even though I don't full on believe in the death penalty, because I think you have to be like 100% right 100% of the time, there are certain people I wouldn't mind it happening to. Oh, yeah, he's definitely one. Oh, he's one that I could like truly, if I could get my hands on him, I think I could do it myself. Like he's just one that I'm okay with. Um, The death penalty is great for him. Uh, what did he get? Well, Shanann's family, they just wanted him to spend life in prison. Sandy said, quote, he made the choices to take those lives. I do not want to be in the position to make the choice to take his, end quote. So on November 19th, 2018, Chris is sentenced to five life sentences, and he is currently at the Dodge Correctional Institute, which is a maximum security prison in Wisconsin. He was moved out of Colorado, they say due to security reasons. And by February 18th, Chris finally tells more of the story as to how he murdered his family. This time without placing the blame on Shanann. And on September 30th of 2020, the Netflix documentary comes out, American Murder, The Family Next Door. I got a lot of my information from this documentary. It's brilliant the way they tell it with like, it's not narrated at all. It's all pieced together through texts and Facebook videos. And it was really well done. And the family approves of it and the way that it was told. But it's only months after this film is released that Shanann and her family start receiving so much hate. So while Chris is getting letters from women, women who thought he was so handsome in the documentary, women who felt bad for him, 
and he wrote them back. Still, some of them keep in contact with him to this day. And I just want to say to those of you writing him, what is wrong with you? That is so gross. It is so gross. Like, you're a monster. They're all mentally disturbed. Absolutely. Like, you're sick. They should go to jail for that. Because <laughs> clearly, they don't, they're not in their right minds. Like, what is happening? And then with Shanann, a lot of people decide to start commenting on her parenting style, on her personality. One lady previewed in the documentary says, quote, I just had to wonder if she even wanted Bella and Cece, end quote. Which, like, what? Do you not feel absolutely psychotic saying that out loud? Oh and then they start calling her the narcissist. There's another conversation shown where one woman is saying that Shanann made him do this. She drove him crazy. And the other woman asks, like, dude, why are you victim blaming? Before that woman replies, well, what? She did. She drove him insane. She was a bitch. It doesn't matter. They, nobody should deserve to be killed those people are just as gross as the people writing him letters like what is wrong with you like a i literally hate you b you're gross like you don't victim blame her by saying she drove him crazy she was a loyal wife she you know was dedicated to her relationship she was a good mom like oh it that, like pisses me off that part of the documentary <laughs> i'm like hey give me the name of who said this I'll look them up right now. Ugh. And, you know, like, obviously, he's the selfish a-hole who wanted nothing more than to be, you know, family-free and lust after his new girlfriend. So shame on anyone who blames Shanann for his actions. She can't drive someone to kill their two little baby children. Right. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's absolutely disgusting to say anything negative about them. So... This case also sadly plays a role into our case from a couple of weeks ago, where I brought up that statistic that the number one cause of death in pregnant women is homicide. And here we are again. Chris didn't want another baby because he had a new girlfriend. And as his relationship progressed, he decided the only option was to make it go away himself. He's selfish. He's disgusting. He thought he was hot shiz after going from 250 pounds down to 180 pounds. But guess what? You're not hot, Chris. You never were. And you never deserved your amazing family. Christopher Lee Watts is one of the worst people that still lives on this earth today. He betrayed his wife. He betrayed his two baby girls. He betrayed this world and committed a crime so atrocious that he shocked our entire nation. How is this evil just living all around us? Who did he think he was to take his daughter's life even after she asked him not to? This is someone I'll never forgive. I think I can handle hating him for the rest of my life.
to the best story on earth. It's about me and my nanny and my mom. We are all on the podcast. So, mom shares the stories before my stories. And nanny does it with my mom. They are so into podcasts because they have been working on it since I was a little girl. So, if you want to listen to this podcast, don't skip the episodes. Just listen to the episodes and then come to this one. So, first thing is, my mom shares the sad stories and Nani shares them with her. They have to work really hard so they don't mess it up. And now, I'm on the podcast. But when I was a little girl, I was not on the podcast. But now, this is my job. But we do this job at home. I hope you have a great weekend. Bye. This podcast was research written, hosted, and edited by me, Kayla Waters. Our co-host is Alicia Jenkins. Our palette cleanser giver is Charlie Waters. Our original graphic art was created by Arthur Max, and our music was created by Jaden Schultz, who you can find on Instagram at In Pajamas Music. Also, make sure to go follow us on our social media for pictures and information on all the cases we cover. You can find us on Instagram at True Crime X Pod, True Crime E X P O D, and you can find us on TikTok at True Crime Exposed Podcast. Make sure to leave those five star reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I literally owe you so much for doing that and supporting our show. Stick around if you want to get information on an organization that you can be a part of and help make a difference in these fights against crime. Okay, guys, if you visit responsehelps.org, you're going to find the nonprofit Response, and they offer help for domestic violence and sexual assault. They're all about victim advocacy, which is what I'm all about here. They have crisis intervention, identifying options, information, resources, and referrals, safety planning, assistance with temporary protection orders, immigration services for survivors, human trafficking support services, sexual harassment support, civil and criminal justice support, compensation systems. They also have a 24-hour hotline, confidential crisis assistance, 970-925-SAFE, which SAFE is 7233. And they have immediate response for victims any day of the week at any hour of the day. They also have support groups. They have community outreach. They have housing. So if you're in a crisis, please call their 24-7 crisis helpline. Again, 970-925-7233.